He looks determined without being ruthless. Something heroic in his manner. There's a courage about him. Doesn't look like a killer. Comes across so calm. Acts like he has a dream. Full of passion. You don't trust me, huh? Well, you know why. I do. We're not supposed to trust anyone in our profession anyway. Welcome back to Asian Cinema Fusion, and I am your host, Paul Martinez. We're back. Uh, hopefully, the sound quality is much better now. We got a new microphone in studio here, and uh, you know we're moving up in the world, folks. But uh, again, I do apologize. The last couple of our shows, sound quality was definitely uh, not up to par. Hopefully, we're we're back on track now, and uh, we are still talking New York Asian Film Festival. Uh, five more films that I screened at this year's festival coming up here right now. And uh, let's get right into it. We're going to start off with a very interesting film, Duke Kun, 2018 out of Malaysia, directed by Dain Said, directed a film called Interchange. He also directed a film we mentioned that show, Boonahan, Return to Murder. That's really all I can see that he's done. Again, it's very hard uh, to get stuff a lot of information for uh, Malaysian films. It is starring Umi Aida, who plays Diana Dalan, very popular actress. Uh, she was in films, I guess best known for Gold Diggers, Diva Popular, and a film that uh, I saw at the Asian Film Festival years ago, and I would love to find a copy of this film called Gangster. Uh, she was in that as well. Also starring Faisal Hussein, who plays Kareem, who is Diana's lawyer. He was in Bunahan Return to Murder, as we uh, just mentioned. Uh, he was also in a film called Long Kai. And he was in a film we reviewed uh, last year, Mrs. K, that we screened at the uh, New York Asian Film Festival. Also starring Adeline Aman Ramil, who plays Datuk Jeffrey. He was in a film called Sisakman. Um, I guess it's kind of like a Malaysian version of Spider-Man. Uh, and he was also in that film Gangster that I talked about. And Namran, uh, who plays investigating officer Talib. He was the uh, director of a film we talked about a couple of shows ago. It might have been last show, actually. Uh, he was director of Crossroads 1-2 Jaga. He was also in a film called Red Ha and uh, Hysteria. And our tagline for this, guilty or evil? So, a lawyer whose daughter has gone missing is drawn into defending a woman accused of murdering a top official during a witchcraft ritual. So, before I go any further, this is nothing like Paradox or Wrath of Silence, which also had fathers searching for missing kids. This is much different. And um, what this really is, is kind of like a courtroom drama meets supernatural thriller. Now, this film was actually completed in 2006. It was held back 12 years because this film is actually based on real events of a politician being killed by a former pop singer turned witch doctor doing some sort of ritual. So how much of this is from the actual events? I have no idea. 
but it did make this an interesting watch for sure. And uh, for a long time, they were not allowed this film to come out because of the subject matter. But uh, uh, Malaysia, uh, as I talked about during One Two Jagger, is under kind of a renaissance politically. And also there was a, somehow a lot of uh, scenes were leaked over social media. And when people saw this stuff, it really kind of caused quite a stir where people you know, were demanding they wanted to see this film. And the new government kind of relented and they uh, allowed the film to be released. And lucky for us. <laughs> now, some would characterize this as a horror. And while there were some freaky imagery, I, I'm not really didn't call, find it a scary movie. And I don't know if I really would call it a horror film. But like I said, I really think it's more kind of like a courtroom drama and then kind of a thriller involved too. It was interesting. Definitely a mishmash of genres for sure. Uh, the acting was up and down here except for Umi Ida who was flat out fantastic. Uh, her screen presence just jumped off that screen consistently. Uh, everything from her mannerisms to her facial expressions to delivering the most mundane of lines. But it was all done so perfectly. Uh, Faisal Hussein was okay as the lawyer. At times, I felt he lacked emotion in some very emotional moments in the film. But overall, he was solid. Uh, the rest of the cast didn't really move the needle for me, uh, except for a couple of scenes by a young actress named Eliana, who plays Kareem's wayward daughter. Now, this film relies heavily on two things. It's dark imagery of Diana as a prisoner, often terrorizing fellow inmates almost to death, and the other is the legal battle of Kareem trying to defend Diana despite her seemingly having her own motives during the trial. Now, all will be revealed by the end, and how these all people and these events all work together uh, is shown. And it's actually put together fairly well by the time the movie ends. But, you know, what's this worth 12 years? I mean, I... You know, when you hear about a film taking 12 years to be released and all this controversy, it just kind of builds up for you a, I don't know, you know, that you're going to see something like it's amazing, like we're so lucky it was released. And it's not a bad film at all, uh, but it's not a great film. <laughs> um, it's an interesting film because of the subject matter. And Diana, you know, Umi Ida, who plays Diana, her performance is really incredible. I mean, it's really good. Uh, striking. But again, uh, outside of that, uh, not a great horror film per se. Not a great courtroom drama. There were some couple creepy scenes and some nice camera work. But I think the story's best feature is actually trying to follow how all these events work together. And I thought they did a decent job of uh, tying it all together at the end. Outside of... Uh, Umi Ida's tremendous performance is kind of missable. But still, um, because of her performance, I, I give the film a 6 out of 10. Okay, our next film. Pramika, 2017 out of Thailand. Directed by Sawakorn Charupangsa. <laughs> I must be butchering this poor man's name. Let me try it again. This. It's Sawakorn Charupangsa. This is his directorial debut, uh, starring Gina de Souza um, as Pramika. He's really um, never done a mo major motion picture before. So he was on a TV show called Sitting Ducks. So he's kind of like an internet darling, social media queen. You know, that's young people nowadays who become famous. That's for being on YouTube. 
also starring Nutasit. Oh, I'm going to butcher this one, guys. Koti Manuswanich. Uh, that's the best I'm going to do with that. Who plays Tull. Uh, he was in a film called Siam Square. Also a film called Tang Wan. And also starring Totsapu Maisu, who plays Lieutenant Pum. None, couldn't really find uh, what he's been in before this, but I'm pretty sure he's been in something. <laughs> Just couldn't find anything listed on the IMDb form. So, our tagline for this film is Sing or Die. And what's this about? Well, a group of vacationers are being systematically taken out by an angry karaoke ghost girl. And if that sounds silly, it is very silly. But honestly, a lot better than I went in thinking it would be. A lot of madcap comedy mixing with some overly gruesome deaths. Uh, the story is also a bit of a mystery. Uh, we know why the girl's killing. I mean, we know she was brutally murdered and her heart was tossed into an old karaoke machine. Um, how no one ever smelled a rotting organ. It's totally ignored in the film. But hey, it's a comedy, right? Um, when a couple of extremely sexy and scantily dressed but utterly clueless guests plug the machine in, it awakens the spirit of the young victim who now wants you to sing and get a high score or be savagely killed. Now, of course, once you are killed, you join Pamika in her quest for vengeance. It's great stuff. There's also a number of musical numbers as the guests each have to try to sing to stay alive, usually with disastrous results. Uh, the problem for me in this aspect was that these were Thai songs that I was not familiar with the music. And I'm sure if you were, then this would have enhanced your enjoyment of the film. Now, obviously, the movie leans heavily on the crazy group of guests and staff at this resort. They, they're all a bit funny and very quirky to different levels. But that is what is best about the film, really. That is the strong point. The film is, you know, they lean heavily on the comedy aspect of this and the funny characters. Um, it's a horror comedy. It's not overly funny nor scary, but it's kind of mindless fun for 90 minutes. You know, nothing really to note in the acting, um, with the exception of the actor who played Toll, a southern leaner of a popular boy band with a secret of his own. I'm not attempting to say the actor's name again. So um, this has some comedy, some gore, some definitely some eye candy for the meal viewers, and some music. Probably uh, good music if you're familiar with Thai. You could do a lot worse on a Friday night. I actually screened this uh, at Friday the 13th. Uh, so it was a special horror night at the festival. And while, you know, nothing to write home about, Pamika is definitely a good way to waste 90 minutes. I give it a 5.5 out of 10. Alright, our next film. Dude's Manual, 2017 out of South Korea, directed by Kevin Ko, who was uh, directing uh, a film, Invitation Only, which you might have heard of. It's uh, Made its way around a lot of uh, indie markets and stuff. It's gotten decent reviews. He directed that and now he uh, went from horror to comedy here. Starring Dong Zijian as Hei Xiaoyang. Uh, he was in the film Hide and Seek. He was on, a, on another film which I'm not familiar with called Daylan. Also starring Jesse Lee who plays Li Shu Shu. If you remember her, um, and I hope you do if you've been around the show for a while. She was the young girl from Port of Call. Uh, still one of the best films I've ever seen um, at the festival or in life. Um, also in a very popular film, Hide and Seek, along with her, her co-star, Dong Zhijian. And she was in a film called One Night Only. And 
starring Elaine Zhang, who plays Guan Jin. Uh, she was in the film called Youth, and she was also in the Hong Fei Hong uh, Hong Fei Wong TV series. Uh, tagline for this film: She wrote the book on love. A university virgin gets pointers on women from a mean-spirited co-ed. And simplifying that may be a bit, uh, but it is accurate. Look, I'm not the biggest fan of rom-coms. I'm not going to lie to you guys. But this is Age of Cinema Fusion, and I said from day one I will review all types of films. And that being said, uh, this wasn't that bad. Uh, it was cute, if not predictable. But, you know, when our protagonist finds not one, but two women vying for his affections, things uh, get a little better at that point in the film. Honestly, I probably would have liked this a lot less if not for the performance of Elaine Zong, who uh, plays a track star who, due to a misunderstanding, is linked to the most undateable guy in the universe. And uh, I said universe, that might be true, but I meant to say university. Now, to clear her entanglement, uh, and rumors and what have you from him, she must find him a new love interest to get the focus off of her. Of course you know where this is going. There is no swerve, no unseen turn of events. If you've ever seen a rom-com, you know where this is headed. But Miss Zong is so infectious in her stubborn, frank, and at times aloof manner, I found myself wanting to date her. Well, if I was 20 years younger, but you get my drift here. Now, not that our other cast members were bad. You, you know, I, I'm a big fan of Jesse Lee after Protocol. And, you know, he also has two friends in the film that are also involved in the own romantic drama. You know, it's, it, there's a lot of funny stuff here. You know, early on in the movie, there's this, it looks like it's not a comedy at all, but a horror film. And it turns out the whole situation with a blow-up doll, which <laughs> causes our protagonist to go by the name Air Pump. So, uh, you can see, this is a very... Uh, some childish but but funny comedy going on here. I will say about the two friends and the side drama, it probably was, I felt, a little too much time given to them uh, in this film and not enough. Because uh, to me, you know, the best part was really the stuff of Elaine Zong and, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Dong Zhijian. I think uh, Air Pump, as we now know him, I think their scenes were really good. You know, if this is, you know, your type of film, you know, this is a genre that, you know, that you would like, then you're probably going to enjoy this. If you're a guy like me, you probably doesn't like rom-coms, then you might have trouble getting through this. But honestly, as a guy who really is not into rom-coms, I found this not bad at all. But really, there is zero new to this. It's been done before plenty of times. But if you want to have some lighthearted fun, check this out. It was okay. I give it a five and a half out of ten. All right. So... As you know, as you heard from our first three uh, reviews, nothing that really, you know, wowed me. But now we have our last two films, and things are going to change. First, we'll start with On the Job, 2013, out of the Philippines, directed by Eric Matty, uh, who directed By Bust, who we're going to review on our next show. Uh, Honor Thy Father, which is a film I really, really want to see. And the film uh, Gagamboy. So Eric Malti, who's uh, he's becoming uh, quite a name uh, in the Philippines right now, starring Joel Torre, no relation to Joe Torre, uh, for baseball fans, who plays Mario Tatang Magari. Uh, he was in the film called Amigo. He's also in the film called Jose Rizal. It's like kind of a political uh, thing. Uh, also starring Gerald Anderson, who plays Daniel. Uh, he was in the film called Bud Boy. 
he was in a, a TV series called My Girl. And also, uh, this is true, he actually plays in the Philippines Professional Basketball League. Also starring Piolo Pasquale, who plays Francis Cornell Jr., uh, Officer Francis Cornell Jr. He was in the film, he does a lot of uh, romantic films, uh, Love Me Tomorrow, The Breakup Playlist, Every Breath You Take. He's usually in very sappy love story dramas. Uh, so this was a bit of a different role for him. And Joey Marquez, who plays Sergeant Joaquin Acosta. He was in uh, the Swang Chronicle films. And, by the way, he's also a former Philippines uh, pro basketball player and a former male of Paranaque, uh, which is a uh, town in uh, the Philippines. And our tagline for this film is Prisoner of the Life. So two men serving time in prison are moonlighting as contract killers. Now, I had heard a little about this film before seeing it for some friends of mine, and they really liked it. So my expectations were a little high, which for me is usually a bad thing. Was it as good as I went in hoping? I'm going to say probably not, but it was pretty damn good. Uh, the entire concept is a fresh one for me, and apparently after hearing from director Matty, uh, this was based on a story of a guy who worked for him who swore that this is the true story. So if you think about it, it's pretty ingenious. You can have guys go out and assassinate people, and the cops can't find them because they're already in jail. Uh, the fact that movie studios bought rights for a remake and that there's a six-part miniseries sequel coming up in a couple of months uh, says I'm not alone in this thinking. Uh, this is a really great, uh, you know, a story plot here. Uh, and uh, I... I think, you know, this is a, a film you should see before all these sequels and, and uh, remakes and everything come out of this. Uh, Joe Torre uh, is amazing in his role as a father and husband that agrees to do this work to help put his daughter through law school and provide for his underappreciating wife. You know, of course, his daughter doesn't even know that he's actually in jail. He thinks he just goes away on business. <laughs> well, uh, he is working, <laughs> but he's also doing time. And the problem here is that uh, he's getting older. And what's worse is he's getting paroled. And with him being free, his bosses have no more use for him. I mean, the whole point about this job is that you're in jail. No one can catch you if you're not in jail. Kind of changes the dichotomy of this. So he must train his successor, his partner, Daniel. Uh, Gerald Anderson, who plays Daniel, is also great in his role as the brash wannabe killer who must learn to blend in and go unnoticed if he wants to become the lead man in the operation. Add to this Pierre Pasquale and Joey Marquez who play cops trying to figure out who are these killers and who's pulling their strings. And as you can imagine, there's a lot of twists and connections that are not readily seen early on. Problem is, though, that they become noticeable a little too early. Um, I'm not going to go as far as to say predictable, but the reveals when they come... You pretty much knew they were there probably 20, 25 minutes before they happened. Um, now, the ending was well done and really put the film over the top. As you know, I'm a big uh, stickler about acting. Uh, and there's a scene in this film that uh, comes where it looks like it's going one way and goes completely the other. And that uh, is fantastic. And I'm sure uh, that's something that is going to stay with you after the film is over. So, again, there were some parts that were a little predictable. There was... One or two parts that were not. 
but there's a lot of twists and turns, and I just felt that um, there was a little too much foreshadowing at times on these twists. But again, that's not going to take away from how enjoyable and uh, novel this film is. Um, I also enjoy the cinematography here. And, you know, I don't talk about that in every film, but uh, when it stands out, I mention it. You know, from the dank prison uh, to the sunny fair that opens the show to the past quarters where investigator uh, Cornell's affluent father-in-law lives. These are stark contrasts uh, all throughout the film and really gives the film a lot of character. The actor scenes are okay. Nothing over the top, but also ripe with intensity. Uh, I am definitely looking forward to seeing the sequel to this, which I believe is coming around in November. And when I get more details, I'll let you guys know. As I've, The way I heard it from a director, Eric Matzi, it's going to be a six-part miniseries. I don't know how long the episodes are going to be, but um, it's going to be on some streaming service. I, don't, I think it's Netflix. But uh, again, when I get more details, I'll definitely let you know. I believe it said somewhere around November uh, this should be coming out. And you should definitely see that. But before that comes out, um, you definitely need to see this gritty, th- uh, this gritty thriller. It is on Netflix right now. Wait, no, I'm sorry. It was on Netflix, right? I just uh, remembered that I went looking for this uh, two days ago and Netflix took it down. But it's a film you should be able to find uh, you know, on the job. It's a film. There are DVDs of it. You should be able to find a copy of this film. And I would definitely say to catch this film before the sequel comes out, before the remake, if it does happen. It's remake is not uh, coming anytime soon. Um, the studio has it, and I think they're looking for a director. But um, I would always want to see the original first, and definitely before the sequel, which is going to have many of the same characters in that film. And I give uh, On the Job an 8 out of 10. Uh, really one of the better films I screened at the festival, and you guys should really check this out. It's a very good film. And here comes our final film, and this is One Cut for the Dead, 2018 Japan, or is it 2017, I'm sorry, Japan, written and directed by Shinichiro Ueda. The only thing I found in him that he did, I saw this from shorts, was a film called Neko Bun Number 4, which translates to something about a cat <laughs> in uh something about a cat. Um, Neko is a cat in Japanese, that's pretty much all I know. And four is, of course, number four. It's starring Takayuki Hamatsu, who plays director Higurashi. And this is, I believe, his film debut. Yuzuki Akiyama, also her film debut, who plays Chinatsu, the lead actress. Harumi Shuhama, who plays now the makeup lady. She's really had to done much. Uh, I think she was in one small TV show. And Mao, who plays Mao. The daughter of the director, who, as far as I'm con- I can tell, this is also her feature film debut. So the tagline for this is, Lights, Camera, Mayhem. So what's this about? A making of a zombie film becomes something else entirely. And that synopsis sucks, but it has to. I will not give away anything here, because trust me, you're going to be pissed if I do. What we have is like five films into one. But it's all really based around the making of a movie. Basically, um, you have a 30-minute opening film to watch. It's cheesy, awkward at times, and almost comically bad. Then the real movie begins. And it's engaging, heartwarming, and above all else, hysterical. This is one of the most ingenious films I have ever seen. 
flooded with actors you've never seen by a director you've never heard of, filmed in a very indie style, and this is all purposely done and just outright fantastic. Now, I always talk about the acting uh, in films, but in this film, the actors are supposed to be bad actors, and they are all great at it. So, does that make them great, or just really good at being bad? I don't know. Honestly, I don't care. If you can't tell by now, I am actually giddy over this film. As I sit here reviewing this, my love for it just got larger. Um, I only wish I had a copy of it because I would pause the show right now to watch it again. That's how much I love this film. Trust me uh, about this much. This is not what you think it is. There's going to be scenes early on that may have you scratching your head or even rolling at your eyes about how bad it is. By the end, you're going to see the same thing, but with a whole new perspective. And I dare you not to laugh out loud. The New York Age of Film Festival, as I have stated earlier, has been very dark and at times almost depressing this season. Some very heavy material was covered. And here is something I really needed. This was so much fun, they should have charged us twice. Now you might ask, well, Paul, it's a horror film. It's just scary. And I won't even answer that question. All I say is watch it and decide for yourself. If there is only one film from this year's festival that you can see, this should be it. If you say, I don't like zombie films, Paul. I don't care. See this film. I don't really like comedies. I don't care. See this film. I don't like seeing movies that you don't tell me what they're about before I see them. I don't care. See this film. I give this the highest score I've ever given a film for this festival. It's 9.5 out of 10. It is delightful, and I will say it again. This is simply genius filmmaking. One cut for the dead. Do not miss this. Find this. It's not out on anywhere as far as I know. I don't even think there's a DVD for it yet. But I will tell you, I love this film so much that whenever I hear about it, um, you know, Follow my pages. Follow my Twitter page. Follow my Facebook page, Asia Cinema Fusion. My Twitter page is AZN. The letters AZN Cinema Fusion, and uh, you know at AZN. You know you know how to find something on Twitter. Find uh, my thing. I will put it, the second I find out that this is available anywhere, I will let you guys know there. I will talk about it on the show. Uh, I really want everybody within the sound of my voice to see this film. I, I mean that very, very, very deeply. And that's our show. I will return next week with uh, the last five films I saw at the New York Asian Film Festival, uh, including The Amazing Buy Bust and Buffalo Boys. Plus, I reveal this year's secret screening and my very so, uh, strong thoughts about that. And until then, as always, I want to thank you guys for listening and bye-bye. One cut for the dead, people. One cut for the dead. <laughs> bye bye.